Hey detective, welcome back to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew file series. Today we're going to discuss Deadly Doubles, but before I get into this podcast and discuss the book, I just want to talk about what a crazy time that we're living in now. COVID-19, commonly known as the coronavirus, has taken over the entire world and lots of people, including myself, are stuck inside. So now is the perfect time to catch up on some books and lots of reading. So I know that Many of you, well, actually, I hope that all of you (laughs) would be uh, Nancy Drew fans. And if you don't have access to the books or don't own copies of the books, there's a great resource called openlibrary.org where you can find quite a few of the books from the files, the original series, from Girl Detective and so on and so forth. So I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Um, So you can check them out and find something to do to fill your time while you're stuck inside due to coronavirus. Okay, let's get into it. As I mentioned earlier, this book that we're covering today is file number seven, Deadly Doubles. And there's quite a few interesting descriptions for this book. Um, I'm just going to read two of them that I found on the internet. And By the sounds of them, they sound like two totally different books. From the publisher's website, it says, Nancy is abducted by terrorists when she poses as a government courier to deliver a document vital to top secret negotiations with a country on the brink of a resolution. Revolution, rather. Um, That sounds pretty hardcore for Nancy. Um, you know, she's dealing with terrorists and FBI and government. Well, it doesn't say FBI, but we know that, um, top secret government stuff is usually FBI stuff. Um, and then on Google books, the description says Nancy Drew closely resembles a world famous tennis player, Teresa Montenegro, whose boyfriend has been kidnapped and she may be next. Nancy and Teresa trade places in order to outwit the hired guns. All right, that just, to me, that sounds like two totally different books. What do you think? We'll we'll go through the book and we'll see uh, which blurb most closely ties into it. So Dudley Doubles is case number seven in the Nancy Drew Files series. It was published in January 1987. On the front cover, again, as usual, it follows the same theme. In the back, we've got a dangerous-looking guy holding a gun, In the middle, we've got an attractive tennis player and on the front, like in the foreground, we have Nancy, her hair is swept to the side. She looks quite different from the previous covers. Like that's what I've noticed. Like every cover, she looks a little bit different. Um, She's wearing a white t-shirt, a red belt and a navy or rather a denim skirt. Uh, And there's some buildings and trees in the background of right in the background that you really can't notice. So it doesn't really tell us much, but that it's going to involve tennis and that there's going to be a scary guy with a gun. Uh, We know that it's going to be tennis because there's a tennis player in there and it's called Deadly Doubles. And Doubles is a tennis game where two people on each team play at once. Deadly Doubles begins with Nancy, Bess and George hanging out at their two-bedroom suite at the Alexandra Hotel in Virginia. I did check. There is multiple hotels that this could have been based on, so I'm going to say that it's a real hotel. I just also want to point out that compared to their previous accommodations, this one is quite upscale. They didn't stay at the fancy lodge when uh, in Murder on Ice, and when they were in Florida for white no, hit and run holiday. They just stayed at a very basic hotel. So they've, they've upgraded this time and staying in a fancy hotel from what I can tell. And it's a two bedroom suite. Uh, Nancy, Bess and George are there to watch an international tennis tournament. Now you must be thinking, why would Bess want to go and watch tennis? Well, of course, Bess being Bess, she doesn't want to watch the tennis players. Bess wants to find a boyfriend that isn't as half dim-witted as her previous love. So 
that's not very nice. She's being quite nasty to Alan. He w he didn't seem too dumb, I guess. And Gunther was nice, and that was the only partner that I can remember off the top of my head. How am I going to keep track of this? I'm going to have to have a spreadsheet or something in front of me, <laughs> even more papers and whatnot. They mentioned that it's a hot summer afternoon, so the timeline is still continuous, which is good because I really hate things that are not in order. Maybe we should track the years as well, so we're in year one summer. Okay, I just checked. They did fly in because they were making a joke that uh, they could have been at a party with tennis players last night, but they were still in River Heights. And George kind of makes fun of Nancy, saying, oh, now I know how Ned feels because they couldn't fly out earlier because Nancy was waiting for a top-secret phone call from a Washington senator whose name is Marilyn Kilpatrick, and she is friends with Carson Drew, who is Nancy's dad. So basically they're gonna they're teasing her, saying that there's a mystery and whatnot, and Nancy is just saying, no, no, there's no mystery at all. I just need to do a favor for my dad's friend. And you know, they continue teasing her about it being a mystery, and Nancy's feeling a bit guilty because yes, she thinks it might be a mystery as well, because the senator told her not to tell anybody what the phone call was about. They like still waiting around and George is really, really eager to get to the tennis match to see uh, a relatively new up and coming tennis player called Teresa Montenegro. She is from a country called San Carlos in South America uh, and that is not a real country but in the book they say that this country is under a dictatorship and they're close to a revolution and then it was really cool that this was the first time that a player from this country could come to America and compete. So Bess and George are super eager. Nancy tells them to catch a cab to the tournament which is in Lorden, um, that uh, Lorden College rather. It's not an actual college. There is a community college there but this one makes it sound like it's a huge university type place but that's not the case. They also mention that Bess is wearing a velvet miniskirt and wearing a bright t-shirt that's tied at the waist and I think that sounds really cute. Uh, I really like the fashion references in here. They don't really say what George wears a lot of the time. So again, Nancy's driving because they told her to catch a cab and that she would take the rental car. I really don't think Bess or George have their license or know how to drive. Nancy hangs out at the hotel and she finally gets the call from the senator's office. She answers Senator Kill but gets cut off. A woman's voice interrupted evenly. Miss Nancy Drew, this is Senator Kilpatrick's office calling. The Senator has asked me to tell you the meet has been postponed until 9 o'clock this evening. Same instructions as before. You are to contact the Senator immediately afterward and report what happened. Thank you. And then the phone went dead. So, that's a bit weird. Like, that's very, very professional sounding and quite scary. I mean, wasn't... Didn't Nancy just have to deliver a package? Why is there all this secrecy? I guess it is a government body, but think it's a bit crazy that Nancy has to deal with this. So the instructions that were given to her the night before were to pick up a press pass, I believe, uh, and to wear a special outfit, a white t-shirt, a bright belt, and a denim miniskirt, which was what Nancy was wearing on the cover. So it's really good when the fashion that was in the book is reflected on the cover. I like, I just like these small little details. I get so nerdy about it. Ah. <laughs> Nancy figures that she doesn't have to wear her outfit now and puts it into a duffel bag and kind of like wears a tennis outfit, white shorts, white t-shirt and some tennis shoes and gets into the rental car and heads to Lord and College. And they do make note of, you know, the trip that she passes a big shopping mall in Tyler's Corner and that she finally gets there and again, um, while there is a Lord and Community College, it, uh, there isn't actually a lot in university and the book does explain that there's stadiums and huge stone buildings and whatnot and I would find those more akin to a, a big university campus rather than a community college. 
she tries to find her way to the the stadium and she figures that there must be a shortcut and she pushes on some doors and a young attractive guy with dark hair who I'm going to assume is the guy on the front cover tells her senorita you cannot enter here it's for players only and then Nancy turns around, looks at him, and he kind of like step backs and goes, oh, sorry, and lets her in. Now, I guess we know because the blurb on the Google Books page said that they look alike, which what I find weird is that if they look alike, why hasn't George pointed that out yet? But anyway, let's continue on. Nancy finally gets to where she has to go, and then the most craziest thing happens, like, in the series so far. Someone kidnaps her and throws her in a car at gunpoint. Yes, Nancy gets kidnapped at gunpoint. So while Nancy's been thrown in the car, uh, the car starts driving away and Nancy has this amazing recollection of direction just by feel of the roads like I was actually quite impressed how much she could remember she could tell that they were on a dirt road that they turned left uh and that they eventually ended up at the airport she could also tell that you know they were on a highway or a back street just by the sounds and she was kind of like retracing her route um that she took to get to the stadium originally so good on you Nancy for being so aware of your surroundings they eventually end up at some warehouse and realize that it's a case of mistaken identity. So obviously we know because the blurb on Google Books gave it away that they're trying to kidnap Teresa, not Nancy. Thankfully, these kidnappers are really nice and they drive her back to the stadium and throw her where they in the car park, kind of like similar to where they left her. And they even gave her purse back. So bravo, kidnappers. <laughs> I just find this absolutely so crazy that Nancy gets kidnapped by gunpoint by some scary guys at, I don't know, as an 18-year-old. It's really hard to picture Nancy as an 18-year-old. Does anybody else, like, struggle with that in the file series? She's so young. I remember what it's like to be 18, and I couldn't deal with being kidnapped. I don't know how she does it. Nancy isn't too phased about being kidnapped. She looks at herself and realizes that she's a mess because she's obviously been thrown out of her car and her hair would be like everywhere. So she heads into the school's gymnasium, has a shower, puts some lip gloss on and continues to be Nancy Drew. So once she gets to the stadium, she shows the guard her ticket to get to her box seat and then she finally sees Teresa for herself and is absolutely shocked that besides from being a better tennis player and having dark, slightly darker skin that player could be Nancy so this is crazy again why hasn't George pointed this out before since George is such a huge fan of Teresa I don't know plot holes are annoying like that Nancy puts two and two together and finally realizes that, you know, she was hanging out in the tennis players area and that people thought that was Teresa, not Nancy, and it was a case of mistaken identity. Nancy catches up with Bess and George. Bess is excited to see her. She hasn't found any cute boys yet, but the amount of security around is making her feel uneasy. There's lots of security because Teresa is there and it's the first time, like I said earlier, that they've allowed a tennis player to go and compete in another country. And to top it off, there was a bomb threat. So they were checking everyone's bags before they came in. There's also some big shots from her government coming to DC this week just to watch. Um, and lots of people don't like that there's people from San Carlos, a country under a dictatorship, uh, coming to America. Um, the San Carlos diplomat wasn't just coming to watch Teresa. He was also going to meet Senator Kilpatrick at a top secret committee, a committee rather, which Nancy knows because Mary, Marilyn rather, Senator Kilpatrick had told her that on the phone call earlier. So... Nancy's working for the government and there's diplomats from a country that has a dictatorship coming. This is quite serious, probably above Nancy's pay grade, but we know Nancy, she can do everything. Let's see how the rest of the book goes. 
After the match, Nancy tells Bess and George what happened and they say that they need to tell Teresa. Luckily, they spot Teresa with the cute guy that let Nancy into the player's area before. Nancy says that she has to do this herself and tells Best and George to go back on the shuttle. So instead of, you know, shouting for a cab, she's making them go on a shuttle bus this time. And I don't know why Nancy has to tell her, or tell Teresa herself. Like, why can't Best and George come? Anyway, that's, we'll see. Nancy goes to follow them and she gets worried because while some girls stop Teresa for an autograph the guy with her pulled her away they end up running away a couple of rows of cars and then nancy figures that it's not an abduction because they start kissing and she can tell that they were in love anyway they get in a car and nancy decides to follow them she follows them all throughout the city and all the way back to the hotel and when they get to the hotel nancy puts on a disguise like of a raincoat like something really stupid like your typical disguise like a raincoat and big sunglasses kind of like you see in cartoons when people are wearing disguises and follows them into the hotel lobby and they take the elevator and Nancy decides to take the stairs. Nancy needs to wear this disguise because she doesn't want the man that's with her to recognize her because what she wants to say to Teresa she needs to say in private. Anyway they get to their room and he puts Teresa in her room and he goes to his other room and Nancy pretends to be housekeeping by knocking on the door and saying hello I've got extra towels for you. Teresa answers the door and she's like shocked. Obviously she's looking at someone who's almost identical to her, but out of nowhere they start hearing uh, rapid fire pistol shots from an automatic gun. So what is happening? Why is there shooting happening in a hotel elevator lobby? Once this starts happening, Nancy pushes Teresa into the room and says, I'm a detective. I work for the U.S. government. And because we all know that Nancy can speak Spanish, she said it all in Spanish because Teresa's English may not be that good. We don't know yet. We haven't heard her speak or talk or whatever. But I like how Nancy just straight away goes, I work for the U.S. government. I mean, that would be pretty scary for her as well. Like, would the U.S. government actually want to protect, like, Teresa? I don't know, but... Everything happens so fast. They're inside their hotel room and they're safe from the bullets as well for now. They call the house detective. I didn't know what a house detective was, so I had to look it up. It turns out it's just a police officer or security guard that works at a hotel. Um, Nancy tells him about the shots and he doesn't believe her. Thankfully, Nancy finds like a bullet under a table and says, look here, see? And they go to investigate. They interview someone from another room and this older woman says that she saw four men young in their 20s, two were tall, two were shorter and they were all wearing dark pinstripe suits which sounds very (laughs) mob-like, you know, those old mobster movies with the, anyway. Nancy realizes that the descriptions match those of her kidnappers. I don't remember her seeing her kidnappers but she must have seen them before they blindfolded her. It turns out that in all the kerfuffle, Teresa's boyfriend was kidnapped. However, we still don't know what her boyfriend's name is, so we need to find that out. Nancy leaves the investigation up to the professionals for once, which is quite unlike Nancy, and goes to find Bess and George and finally clues them in on Senator Kilpatrick's phone call. She tells them that she was supposed to pick up a package from somebody earlier today but the meeting had been postponed to that evening and that it has something to do with San Carlos diplomats. So this next part is kind of crazy. Uh, Teresa has someone that's looking after her, someone uh, Sinuero Ramez and she tells Nancy and George that Uh, Teresa has you know escaped from her hotel room and is trying to get away so Nancy and George rush down to the car park and they see Teresa get into a car but before she's able to get into the car there's this other car that's heading straight towards Nancy and Teresa and it's going to hit them 
Thankfully, George manages to do some acrobatic skills and pull down a banner that's advertising the tennis tournament and it blocks the car's windscreen and the car swerves off. Nancy tells George to tell Sonorero Ramirez that Teresa is okay and finally Nancy gets a chance to talk to Teresa and says, look, I've almost been killed twice now. You might want to tell me what is happening. Teresa claims that she doesn't know what's happening, but she has received a message from her boyfriend, who we now know his name is Roberto, and he's been kidnapped, and that she needs to meet with him somewhere tomorrow. Um, and Nancy's like, no, you can't go. It's way too dangerous. I'll go. And... That was kind of like the end of the conversation. Now, remember that Nancy's secret meeting with the courier got pushed to this evening. So we're still all on the same day, which I find crazy. Like we've been kidnapped. Uh, we've had people getting shot at in a hallway and we've almost been ran over. So this is all in a matter of a couple of hours. This is a really, really stressful day. But anyway, Nancy heads to the gymnasium and waits for the courier and tells George to order some pizza and tells Bess to like go wait outside somewhere. Hours pass, well, minutes pass rather, and the courier doesn't come and Nancy and Bess head home. And George makes a joke about the pizza tasting like cardboard and that there was a Neapolitan pizza place nearby. And that supposedly is like kind of like a wood-fired pizza place. So I guess different from the Chicago pizza that they're used to, considering that the authors, the ghostwriters insist that River Heights is in Illinois. After an exhausting day full of adventure, they go to bed and Nancy's woken up at very early in the morning at 10 to 6 by Senator Kilpatrick knocking on the door. She asks why she didn't receive the package and Nancy tells her the courier didn't come and also fills her in on the events of the previous day. Nancy's quite angry at this stage and it's like, look, this is all everything that's happened. You brought me into this. I think you've should tell me what's happening so I don't make a wrong move. The senator says there ought not to be of any danger to you or anyone else, but the information exchange is far more important than I've been free to tell you. What I'm going to tell you now should not be you should not be saying to anyone who does not have top security clearance. I'm trusting you because I trust your father. Nancy assumes that it's got something to do with the San Carlos revolution. Senator Kilpatrick says yes, that her committee is meditating between representatives of all the different political groups in San Carlos, and they're hoping to avert a bloodbath. Someone, we're not sure whether from San Carlos or an outsider, does want one. I've been able to arrange for some very dangerous information to be smuggled to me. That's why I needed you, Senator Kilpatrick tells Nancy. And then it clicks. Um, Nancy says, because I look like Teresa, not because I'm Carson Drew's daughter. Yes, truly, I didn't think either of you would be in danger. I thought the fact that you resembled Teresa would give you easy access to the gym and if anyone saw you in the career together no one would think any of it and then Nancy puts two and two together and figured that Roberto was the courier and he didn't get the pack and she didn't get the package because obviously he's been kidnapped um, and now she's freaking out that this information that the information will fall into the wrong hands um, so Nancy wants more information about who Roberto is. Kilpatrick tells her that he's Teresa's boyfriend and tennis coach. He's also the leader of an underground freedom, the uh, underground freedom movement in San Carlos. Um, but he, she doesn't know if Teresa knows about that. Uh, she also, Senator Kilpatrick goes on to tell Nancy that I'm sure she's aware of the bomb threat and the protests. And what Nancy doesn't know is that the San Carlos dictatorship has drawn up a hit list. On it are the names of six people now in the United States who are actively working to overthrow the current government. Unless I get that list and get it to the FBI within the next few days, those people will start to die. So basically, we're going right back to the start Nancy is in Washington because Senator Kilpatrick needed a package from a courier. That courier was Roberto, who is Teresa's boyfriend. And on that list is a list of names that the government in San Carlos 
want to get rid of. So it's a hit list. So this is absolutely crazy. It's up to Nancy because she looks like Teresa. Although I don't think it's really Nancy's job anymore to get this hit list and to save the people that are on there. Nancy's all shocked saying, can't the FBI like do this? And Senator Kilpatrick just tells her, no, unfortunately they can't because they don't have the list of names. And Nancy questions if Roberto had the list of names on him when he was kidnapped. Kilpatrick says she really doesn't know, but the most important thing is wherever the list is, they need to get it. Senator Kilpatrick and uh, Nancy took more about the list and Senator Kilpatrick is worried whether he will give it away now that he's been kidnapped. And because it turns out that during revolutions, couriers have often carried secrets with them to their graves. And then, you know, um, Nancy figures that Kilpatrick is talking about torture. So now we're almost kind of like in war crime territory. This is super serious business. Nancy's like, why aren't the police doing anything to trace Roberto? And Kilpatrick, Senator Kilpatrick rather, says bluntly, it's not for the local police. However, the government agencies can call on them when necessary. I'm going to arrange for you to have a bodyguard. So like Nancy's really, really upset. She doesn't want a bodyguard. The senator reassures her that he won't be obvious and that he's a plain clothed detective that has worked with her before. Nancy finally agrees, but has two ultimatums. One is that she needs to tell Bess and George, which the senator agrees to, even though they don't have security clearance. It's nice to see how easily these things can be, um, you know, waived. And she also wants to know how much danger she's in. The senator reassures her, hopefully not too much, because the kidnappers have already made the mistake of mistaken identity, so they probably won't want to try that again. Just on a side note, the senator says that um, Dan, who is going to be the undercover detective that's going to be her bodyguard, is uh, supposed to pretend to be Nancy's boyfriend. I mean, I guess it is a serious matter, but still, why does he have like why does it have to be a romantic relationship? Why can't it just be friends? I guess that would be really sus, like one guy hanging out with three girls. I don't know. That shouldn't be sus, but just weird why does he why do they have to get set up anyway nancy is told to just continue what they've been doing and that she will talk to her later on so anyway the girls nancy bess and george head to the tennis match and get into their box seats George makes a side comment that it must be terrifying to, for Teresa that like all it would take is a sniper up in the grandstands and she could be taken out. I mean, that's a bit extreme and drastic and scary, but I guess when it involves governments and dictatorships and armies and whatnot, that is a consideration. They run into Senator Kilpatrick and her staff assistant, Dan, who is to be their bodyguard. And thankfully, he's really cute, and that means Bess is all over him. And they seem to like each other. He's reciprocal to her smiles and whatnot, and they go off and get frozen yogurt together, which is a good move. Nancy doesn't have to pretend to have a boyfriend, thankfully. George actually doesn't like him, and as they walk away, she mutters, super jock. And uh, Nancy's like, since when have you looked down on athletes? Only when they have such huge egos and they think their muscles automatically make them supermen. Something tells me that's the case here. How come he's leaving us alone in the box? And Nancy lets her know in case someone is trying to meet her. She again is wearing the outfit that she's supposed to wear when she meets the courier. They continue watching the tennis matches and Nancy decides to take a look around. She checks the bleachers, the changing rooms and so forth, but she doesn't really find anything. But finally, it's time for Teresa to come on and she acts as though nothing's happened and she's still on form. And George makes a comment like, uh, she's still really good, but she's not as good as, that she, as she was yesterday. I mean, considering her boyfriend's been kidnapped and, you know, people shot at her and tried to run her over with a car, I think... She's playing pretty well. The game continues and then Senator Kilpatrick comes over to Nancy and pulls her aside to tell her that Roberto has been murdered. And that was like another chapter end. Like obviously when, I think by now we know that when something big and scary happens, it is a chapter end. <laughs> I, I probably don't need to say that. I don't know. Anyway. 
Turns out that he had been strangled and there was uh, evidence of torture. So they're worried about whether or not Roberto had given away the list before he died. So that's quite a dire situation now. Three people, sorry, six people in the United States will, you know, are on a hit list to be killed if this list gets out. They tell Teresa that Roberto is being killed and Teresa's obviously distraught devastated and Nancy takes her away so they can talk one-on-one because they seem to have rapport between each other. Uh, Nancy questions Teresa about their relationship. She says that he's he's been her tennis coach for three years but her boyfriend for only three months and that he was very sweet and they barely spoke about politics and that he wrote uh, he also gave her a book full of poetry um, that she really liked. Honestly I don't like this book. I mean, it's good. Like I like it. It's a decent, it's a decent book, but this, this plot line is so super serious for Nancy. And I just don't think it's suitable for a Nancy Drew story. Uh, Beth says that she's been learning a lot about the San Carlos situation and that everyone's loyalties are swapping sides and whatnot. Um, She says it's really confusing that you don't know who's on your team, which I think it's very, like, you know, interesting of Bess to actually... Okay, here's the thing about Bess. Bess is probably the best person to have on your team. Like, Bess is really good at being a people person. Like, George always saves the day with her athletic abilities, but Bess is a really, really good people person. She's flirty. She's, you know, interested enough and listens to people that, you know, she found out all this information about the San Carlos government, even though Bess is a t- the type of girl that does not care about that type of stuff. She knows that it's important for Nancy, so she will make sure to listen and observe and be there for Nancy when needed. And I think that's really great of Bess. I think Bess is my favorite character in all of these books. So now the race is on to find this list before people start getting killed. The detectives have the book of poetry that Roberto gave Teresa and Nancy, Bess and George are on a mission to find this list themselves. That night, Dan decides to take the girls out to a Greek restaurant and then they go dancing afterwards. I just want to make a note that throughout this book, there's been a lot of mentions of food, but not one about Bess mentioning her weight or needing to exercise more, which is, I think is great. Anyway, when Dan drops them off to their hotel, Nancy goes into her room and finds a red-headed doll with its with a rope around its neck. And someone, so someone's giving Nancy a warning. Because attached to the doll's neck was a note written in blood red marker. It's never just red marker. It's always blood red marker. You've got to make it more like suspenseful and dramatic. And it said, go home, Senorita. This could be you with an exclamation mark. And Nancy was shocked. And Bess said, oh, never mind. I'll get Dan back here. And she picks up the phone and punches in some numbers and says, get here now. And says that, uh... Dan gave her his beeper number, thank goodness. So they didn't have mobile phones back then. Um, They had to use beepers, and I'm not actually sure how beepers work. Like, beepers were around when I was younger, but I was, like, too young to have a beeper. I got my first mobile phone in the year 2000, or maybe 1999, and I was around 16, 15 years old then, so I really didn't need a beeper before that. I don't know what teenage culture was like in other countries, but I don't know anyone who had a beeper unless they were a doctor or something. Dan came rushing back up and a whole bunch of detectives came and cased the room, brushing fingerprints and whatnot. He suggested that uh, Nancy go home because uh, this is too much drama for a nice girl like her to be messed up in. And Nancy being Nancy was stubborn and says, no, I'm not going to go home um, until Teresa's out of this mess and that she is safe. And until Senator Kilpatrick has the hit list in her hand. So... That's what we need. We need to make sure Teresa's safe and we get this hit list. She tells her friends that they're more than welcome to go home. And of course, Bess and George are the most loyal friends in the world and said, nah, we're sticking with you. 
the Dan told them that he's going to move them up to the rooms that are next to Teresa's rooms as he knew that they were empty and he told the hotel lobby that they were using them as a stakeout. He also said that he would sleep on the couch to protect the girls. Nancy wasn't a fan of this idea because she wanted to use the interconnecting rooms to speak to Teresa. Eventually, she decided to sneakily go into the bathroom and use the hairdryer and Jess, uh, Bess and George followed her in. That she called Teresa and managed to get her to come through and talk in the bathroom. Now they're all, this scene was actually quite cute. Uh, Bess has got the tape recorder and George is writing down notes in a notepad and Nancy is questioning Teresa, asking him what exactly were his steps when once they got into the country just to see if he might have hidden the note somewhere. Teresa explains the process that they went to when they came into the country, that immigration was long, that the custom officials took away her fruit and her flowers, and then they waited for their bags. Uh, Ramirez said that her feet were tired and that uh, Roberto told them to sit down and then he went to like sort out what the deal with their rental car was and that he was gone for quite a while and Nancy figures oh wow while he was gone then he probably hid the hit list somewhere so Nancy tells Bess to wake up Dan and that they all got to go to the airport together to try and search for this list. Um, another thing that I'd like to mention is Nancy asked Teresa which airport she went to. She said that she had no idea but that she could see the dome of their nation's capital. So that means she saw the Capitol building and Nancy figures that it's the Ronald Reagan National Airport. She doesn't actually say Ronald Reagan, she says just the National Airport. So they wake up Dan and they jump in the car and on the way to the airport they figure that they're being followed. Thankfully Dan is a really good driver and does some crazy maneuvers and manages to lose them. At the airport, they retrace all of Teresa's steps and end up in the place where Roberto left Ramirez and Teresa while he went out to sort the rental car. George takes a note and says that there's lots of banners for the tennis tournament and that the airport would be the best place to advertise it. And Nancy also notices this notices a small novelty shop that also has a banner in the window. She wants to go back to the novelty shop at another point in time so she can ask the shopkeepers if they recognize Roberto. Finding nothing, they decide to head back home. Uh, but of course, there's no simple journey back home in the world of Nancy Drew, a car decides to start following them. It was the same car that was following them earlier on the way to the airport. Nancy says it wasn't the car that they used to kidnap her, but it's a splitting image of them. Anyway, a big high-speed chase happens and the car hits Dan's car and their car starts going over an embankment with all three of them inside. So this is actually dangerous. Usually when Nancy's been in this situation before, she pulls out her amazing driving skills and manages to, you know, stop just before they go over. But this time they actually went over the embankment. Anyway, thankfully they were all okay and they went back to the hotel and Nancy's talking to Ned on the phone. So this is the first time we've spoken to Ned in this book and he's screaming, what do you mean you almost got died in a car accident? I'm coming like, you know, to get you and to protect you. Ned being his big macho man. Um, they also had to tell Senator Kilpatrick what happened and that made her quite angry. And Senator Kilpatrick told Carson Drew and Carson Drew got so angry. So I don't think I've ever seen Carson lose his temper, temper before. He just starts screaming at Senator Kilpatrick for putting his daughter into danger. And I'm really glad that, you know, he's angry and he just doesn't let it slide. He insists on coming down to Washington tomorrow morning to take care of Nancy and to be there to protect her. Ned tries to convince Nancy to let him come down with her dad. I don't know why he's not at college, but Nancy convinces him not to and says that she will call him if she needs anything. And Ned, like, you know, teases her saying, how about you call me if you want to, which I think is really, really cute. 
the book, as usual, has a lot more scenarios where everyone's in danger. Uh, Nancy tell Nancy is informed that there's a hitman on the way to the country. Uh, Nancy notices that someone is pointing a gun at George's head with a silenced gun, but thankfully she manages to warn George and George runs away and does some acrobatic move off bleachers and saves herself. Thankfully, afterwards, the guards take them home in an armored vehicle, and when they get back to the hotel, who is standing in the lobby but the very famous Carson Drew. Nancy's really, really happy to see see him and runs up and gives him a hug, and then they all go inside, and Nancy fills him in on what happened with George, and Carson loses his mind again and starts screaming at Senator Kilpatrick, saying that he agreed to a terrorist mission. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> agreed to a courier mission and now there's been a murder and these girls are attacked in broad daylight. Uh, he heard about what happened because he heard it over the radio and Nancy interrupts and tells George, tells Carson rather, Dad, like, instead of yelling, why don't you ask if, like, George is okay? And he said, oh, I'm very sorry. How are you, George? Is there anything I can do? And George just brushed him off, says that he's fine. She's fine and that she just wants a big, nice hot bath. I mean, that's what, how good are hot baths <laughs> anyway? Beth returns. She spent the morning with Dan. And of course, she's got some more information. She lets them know that the hitman has landed in Washington. Next, um, we have a really, really like nice moment between Carson and Nancy. They discuss the case and Carson's telling her that he doesn't want to do it and Nancy's talking about how she feels totally responsible and that she wants to do everything that she possibly can to do to help. And then the book says, Carson tilted Nancy's chin up, making her look at him. I meant what I said about being proud of you. I do understand why you do what you do and I improve. I, I approve. So that's good. Like, Nancy's not going to like step down from this case. She's going to finish and her, she's got her dad's blessing. Okay. Now the most craziest part of the book happens. Uh, Teresa tells Nancy that she's been in contact with someone and they want to have a meeting with her, um, because they've got information about Roberto and she trusts this person because they knew information that only Roberto would know. But the main issue is that the meeting is at six o'clock and they can't change it. But also at six o'clock is Teresa's tournament. So who can guess what happens next? Do, 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 do. Of course, they decide to trade places. So Nancy is going to dress up as Teresa and play the tennis match. Okay, so... Nancy's supposedly good at tennis, but is she good enough to play in an internationals women tournament? Who knows? But for this, they need Bess's help. So thankfully, Bess is into fashion and makeup and is able to give them a makeover. Bess cuts and darkens Nancy's hair and also covers her entire body with bronzer. Nancy's worried that the bronzer is going to come off from the sweat and whatnot. And uh, Bess reassures her by saying, trust me, it's not going to come off unless you scrub with soap. I did this once before and I look like a South Seas Islander for days. Now, I wasn't quite sure what a South Seas Islander was, so I looked it up. I and it's supposedly people in the South Pacific Islands. So uh, Samoa and New Caledonia, Vanuatu, Fiji, and so on and so forth. Thankfully, George has also been studying Teresa's play style and she takes Nancy out onto the courts and teaches her how to play uh, and mimic uh, Teresa's style. They also finish Teresa's makeover and they make her look more like Nancy, which I don't know why they need to make her look more like Nancy because she's going to the meeting, so she needs to look like herself, but whatever. Nancy eventually gets to the stadium and gets ready to play the tournament. But however, before she gets out on the course or field, court, no court. Yeah, that's right. I was like, what, what do they, what do they play tennis on? I couldn't remember for a second. She overhears George yelling, saying that she needs to speak to Teresa. Obviously, um, Nancy is playing Teresa at the moment. So George needs to see her. Finally, 
Nancy tells the guards to let George in and George says to Nancy, um, best phone, Teresa phoned her at the restaurant. The big guy down south has ordered the execution of traitors everywhere to begin at dawn. She emphasized the word everywhere. Nancy's eyes darkened. Teresa, she asked. George nodded. The same thought was in both of their minds. If the San Carlos dictator, the big guy, had ordered killings, there was no guarantee that hitman El Moro would obey his decree that they should be carried out at sunrise. El Moro might not even like waiting. El Moro, by the way, was that hitman that had just arrived that Beth had told them about. And by posing as Teresa in the doubles match, Nancy was putting herself in terrible danger. So, yeah, now there's a chance that Nancy's going to get shot while pretending to be Teresa on the tennis court. Despite all this, Nancy goes out onto the court and plays the matches with her doubles partner. Unfortunately, her mind is focused too much on trying to mimic Teresa that she's missing shots left, right and center. Then she starts to play more like herself, so at least she would be able to, you know, actually look like she knew how to play tennis. And then as time went on, she continued slowly incorporating Teresa's moves into the match. However, while she was playing, she noticed a gleam of light from somewhere in the stands and that distracted her and made her miss a few shots. It happened a few times and she pretended that she hurt her ankle so she could just sit down for a second and look around the stadium to see where it had come from. It wasn't the sun because the sun was sitting in the opposite direction and the floodlights hadn't been turned on yet. Her mind racing, she's like, if the glint was not from electricity or the sunset, what had caused it? Sunlight from behind her, binoculars, a camera lens, a telescope, then the truth crashed down hard on Nancy. It was a telescope of sorts, the telescopic sight of a sniper rifle. So, the light has gleamed off the scope of the sniper rifle and is aiming straight at Nancy. Oh my goodness. So... This is quite terrifying. Nancy's pretending to be someone else and she's got a sniper rifle pointed at her. A ball came towards her and Nancy ducked as not to be hit. And then she figured the only thing she could do to get rid of this sniper rifle was to ignore Teresa's style again and go with her own style and hit the tennis ball right into the crowd, right at the sniper. So at least to warn him that she knew he was there which is quite quite heroic. Like, that is so dangerous and so crazy and so scary, and hopefully it worked. George, like, figured out what Nancy was doing and rushed to get security, and then Nancy managed to play normal for the rest of the game. Like, this is so unbelievably ridiculous. Like, I just, I can't comprehend this stupidity of the book. Like, <laughs> sure it's a bit sure the books are supposed to be a bit you know fictional and dramatic but this is just ridiculous anyway somehow uh nancy manages to win the doubles match so they managed to you know get away um go home and of course senator kilpatrick knows um about the masquerade and they're also getting really worried because it's nine o'clock at night and the instructions were to eliminate people at dawn Bess tells Nancy that dawn is at 5.57 in the morning and that Senator Kilpatrick is running around like a crazy woman trying to save everybody whose names may or may not be on the list. Bess also tells her that they have returned Teresa's poetry book and that no clues were found inside and that they also returned the postcards that were inside the books. And Teresa's face changed and Nancy goes, what postcard? Teresa shook her head, turning away slightly. It's nothing. I just realized that the card is the last thing Roberto ever gave me, she confessed, wiping away the tears. Roberto gave you a postcard, Nancy jumped up. Teresa, think hard. When did he give it to you? And she's like, oh, when we were leaving the airport. Roberto said he wouldn't have time to write postcards and that he was stupid to think he would. He threw the cards into a trash can and I said I'd like to have a picture of the capital to take home to my mother. So Roberto laughed and took it out of the can and gave it to me and I was keeping it in the poetry book. Teresa, think. You would have gotten into the US. You hadn't even left the airport. When and where did Roberto get American postcards? Teresa frowned. Hmm, he must have brought them when he was away. Nancy was like, oh my goodness, the novelty shop. I have to go back there and have a look. 
George tries to stop her and tells her that the shop had been searched multiple times and that the senator didn't want anyone to leave their house because everyone was in huge danger. Kind of like how we are now in the coronavirus. Okay, I'm sorry, that was a really bad joke. Beth thankfully reminds Nancy to scrub all the bronzer off of her skin and wash out the hair dye because there's a contract out for Teresa and they don't want to take any risks. Even though they look identical, I guess it's better to look a little bit different and they won't mistake her Nancy for Teresa again. They make their way to the airport and the novelty shop. The owner of was in the shop and he wasn't in a good mood. I've been this I've been over this twice already with the other agents he snapped. Why can't you people get your act together? Yes, I was in the shop at the time you mentioned, but I've already said I can't remember every foreigner who walks into this place or every native either. Nancy begs him, please, you know, I need, I know this is annoying, but it's really important. She glanced over at Teresa, who was glazing as if hypnotized at the posterior. Posterior? Is that like actually a word you use as a for a poster. I'm going to look that up. Be right back. Okay. I just looked it up. I've got no idea why they used posterior instead of like banner or poster. Um, and Nancy tells her shopkeeper, it's about her fiance. He's been murdered and we need to know everything we can about his movements. He brought postcards. He probably brought them here. Oh, you mean that poor guy I read about in the paper? Is that girl Montenegro or something who they're talking about? He snapped his finger. Now I remember, there was someone in here buying postcards and I remember him on the account he stared at that poster just the way she's doing. Kind of creepy and it was weird the way he picked his postcards just up and down in one of the rows as if the pictures on them didn't really matter. He was really interested in the poster. Did he say anything about the tournament? Nope, just stared and he touched it. In fact, I had to tell him to take his hands off the poster because the airport doesn't want anyone graffitiing any of the uh, like furniture or advertisements. Um, so Nancy was like, oh, wow, okay, so there's something to do with this poster. Uh, she delicately put her hand and reached out to touch one word, semi-pro. The dot over the I seemed ever so faintly larger than the dot over the I in the word international, which was set in the same type. Nancy's index finger touched the dot, her nail scraped against it, and the dot came off in her hand. She knew what it was even before she heard one of the agents breathe the word behind her shoulder, micro-dot. So for those who don't know, a micro-dot dot is a small little piece of film that holds huge amounts of information when seen under a special micro dot reader. It seems that this micro dot must be the hit list. So then they need to get it to the agent straight away to have a read of it and see who is on the hit list and warn them and save them. So they went with the agents to the laboratory where they were going to study the micro dot and crack the code to see who was on the list. They were waiting for hours and hours and hours. And then finally, Dan walks out and says, it's okay, they've cracked the code. The FBI has gone to everyone's rescue. Come on, honey, I'm taking you girls home as he went and kissed Bess awake. So I guess we're going to need to add that one to the best hookup. He kissed her. I don't know if he kissed her on the forehead, but he kissed her and called her honey. So I'm thinking that's definitely going to go on the telly. They head home and eat and Nancy's too stressed to relax and go to sleep. She wants to make sure that everyone is under FBI protection who's been on the list. Um, and she's also worried about the gunman, the hitman rather, El Moro, if he's like still around and if he's gone home. Uh, and Dan reassures her saying, there are a lot of people watching for him at airports. He'll probably head home wherever that is as soon as the senator announces that all five people on the hit list are now under US government protection, then we'll nab him. And this made Nancy jerks upright. What five? Are you sure there was actually six people on the list? Um, and Dan just said that she probably heard wrong. We didn't. Dan, I beg you, call the lab. Ask if a name could have been taken off the list. He went and called them and he said, you were right. There are indications that something was deleted, probably some kind of accident when the dot was brought through the radar check. They're putting the crew to work together and try and find out who the sixth person is. So there's one person out there who's in extreme danger and they need to find who it is. 
Nancy thought to herself, who was the most prominent person in the United States working for the peaceful overthrow of the Carlos San Carlos dictator? The realization struck Nancy like a blow. It was Marilyn Kilpatrick, the person Roberto had been trying to smuggle information to. Nancy figured that the micro dot had just been a photo of the list and that Roberto still had the main list and that Roberto's killer would have the list and that Mary Kilpa- Marilyn Kilpatrick would be in extreme danger. Nancy quickly runs to Dan's like, where is she? And Dan's like, I don't know. Nobody knows where she is. Um, we think that she went for an early breakfast with your father before making the announcement. And now Nancy's really scared because not only is Marilyn Kilpatrick in danger, but her dad is too. Thankfully, Nancy knows all the breakfast places around Washington where her dad likes to have breakfast. I don't know how she knows this. I don't know if she's been to breakfast with her dad in Washington, D.C. in the past. She definitely hasn't in this series of books, but she probably has in other series. They go to a bunch of restaurants and they don't see her dad or Marilyn Kilpatrick. Nancy is driving crazily around Washington, D.C., trying to find where her dad and Senator Kilpatrick could be having breakfast. And then they have like a nice little description of Washington to make it feel like they're actually in the place. I'll read that out. Golden sun sparkled on the Pontemac and on the white marble of the statues as they tore across the bridge. The Kennedy Center for Performing Arts shimmered peacefully in the sunlight. The curved lines of Watergate's many balconies glistened. So it... It's almost dawn, the sun is coming up, and they're driving through Washington trying to find her dad. Nancy finally remembers where her dad may be. The Hay Adams Hotel. Dad was there last trip. The first time he'd seen it since he was restored. He said something about how beautiful it was and convenient, and what a good place to have a conference because you couldn't be overheard by other tables. So they rush to the Hay Adams Hotel, and just as they walk in there, Nancy noticed the glimmer of of a telescope from a sniper rifle again. just like there was at the tennis court. She didn't even think, and she just yelled, Dad, get down. Thankfully, like Carson knew to get down and got down. On the way down, he also grabbed Senator Kilpatrick. He knocked him to the ground just as the shots rang out and the bullets hit the crystal goblets on the table and they shattered everywhere. Thankfully, the police were there in a few minutes. The gunman was still around though and before the police arrived Nancy manages to knock out the gunman with a vase and smash it into his face. I mean this was just really silly like why would you take on a gunman with a vase? I mean I guess someone needs to do heroic moves but it's such a dangerous situation for Nancy to put herself in. And that is like the end of the main story. Of course the last chapter always talks about you know people like everyone gathering together and finishing off the finer points of the story. So they're actually having a party in Senator Kilpatrick's box at the stadium to watch her, uh, Teresa win. Thankfully they did. Uh, and Ned also flew down to Washington DC as well. Uh, so that was nice to have Ned, uh, Ned see her, especially after the big adventures Nancy's been in. So I think Ned's been there in all the books except for hit and run holiday which is quite good i honestly don't remember ned actually physically being there a lot but yeah he's been in all all seven of them except for one so that's a good track record uh they're informed that the hitman had been arrested a whole bunch of terrorists had been caught up and arrested and Teresa had been granted asylum and that she will enter a professional tennis in a few months as an American player, and America would be very proud to have her. Um, which was really great, but she's leaving her mother in San Carlos. Hopefully her mother can join her. And last, and the last bit of good news is that um, Dan is leaving the police and taking up a permanent job on Senator Kilpatrick's staff and that he'll have to spend a lot of time back in our home state now. So I, the, she doesn't specifically mention what her home state is, but the Senator works in Washington. They flew to like Washington DC rather. They flew to Washington DC. So if he was a member of their staff, 
wouldn't he be in Washington, D.C.? And we know that they're not in Washington, D.C. So that's really, really confusing. But I guess that means that Bess and Dan are a couple now. I'm going to actually mark it down and say that they're a couple. And that is the end. So I'm going to give the star rating. I'm going to give it a two out of five stars. It was way too... It was way too over Nancy's head. It, this, this is not something that she should be dealing with. It was really, really complicated about, like, I didn't even mention it in the, like, when I was talking through the podcast, but throughout they're talking about uh, traitors and government officials betraying each other and trying to stop um, a revolution and that there's people being double agents and whatnot. And it was just really complicated it turns out Ramirez uh what's what's uh Teresa's uh, bodyguard kind of chaperone that's the word was also in on it as well so it was really kind of complicated and too difficult to for me to explain I I didn't like the book I mean I like the parts with Bess giving them a makeover Bess being really good with getting information while hanging out with Dan and I really do like the the flirtiness between Dan and Bess as well. So yeah, I'm going to give it a two. There was good bits. There were some stupid bits and yeah. As for near-death experiences, we have a few of them. At the end of the last book, we will add a tally of 14. And in this one, at 15, we've got Nancy getting kidnapped. And then we have George getting shot at at 16. At 17, we've got Nancy being almost killed on the tennis court at 17 we have the car being driven over the edge and I'm going to say that at 18 would be also almost getting uh, killed when she went to go rescue her dad so now we're at a total of 19 near-death experiences in seven books so that is crazy as for the hookups Bess hooked up with Ben, uh, Dan rather. So our total is Nancy 2, Bess 3, George 1 and Ned 1. Uh, there wasn't that much romance, but I think the part with Ben, uh, Bess and Dan really, really helped the book. And that's all for this episode. Please take care. Again, check out openlibrary.org if you would like to catch up on some Nancy Drew books while you're in quarantine and stuck inside I will leave a link in the show notes below uh, if you'd like to follow me on Instagram please follow me uh, my handle is Nancy Drew podcast if you'd like to email me please send an email to hello at nancydrewpodcast.com thank you very much and I'll see you next time bye detective